No Gray Zone podcast is a frank and honest conversation on topics related to sexual abuse, harassment, child exploitation, and domestic and workplace violence. The opinions are our own, based on years of experience as special victims prosecutors. Any study, book, or product we mention is based on our own review and are not sponsored. Links and titles can be found in the podcast notes. You can also learn more at rightresponseconsulting.com. Listener discretion is advised. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring too much. Is it too much to ask that you be all mine? I never was good at sharing. I'm just good at caring. Welcome back. I'm Katherine Marsh. And I'm Melissa Hotmeyer, and this is No Gray Zone Podcast. As many of you know, we love to recognize individuals who work hard to better the community around them and beyond. For March, we are especially honored to be able to interview some of our heroes, women survivors who are changing laws, breaking down barriers, and standing up for all survivors. This week, we are so excited to introduce Kathy Picard. She is a survivor, advocate, public speaker, and child safety trainer, just to name a few things that Kathy does. Kathy has been honored many times for her advocacy work to include receiving the Governor's Citation from Massachusetts, the William Pichon Award, the Unsung Heroine Award, and the Public Policy Advocacy Award, just to name a few. Kathy and her husband also spent five years working together to write the book, Life with My Idiot Family. Books available on Amazon in hardback through Kindle or even Audible versions. This book tells the story of Kathy's abuse and her fight for justice. Kathy, welcome to No Gray Zone. Thank you so much, Catherine and Melissa. I'm really excited to be here and to share just a brief part of my story with your audience. You know, the book tells it all, but just to share just just a little blurb of what I've done in my life, and still much more to come. All right. Well, we're so happy to have you. Your book details your abuse and also your decision to fight for justice, which began by researching the laws and options available to you in Massachusetts. So when you first began researching and looking at the tools and options that you had regarding sexual abuse and child sexual abuse, did you ever think it would take you a decade or more than a decade to change the laws in Massachusetts? No, absolutely not. I had no idea what I was in for. Uh, It's a long, long, long learning curve. My frequent visits to the library, because we had no computer at our house. We were still old school. I mean, my husband just got a cell phone two years ago, if that tells you how (laughs) how, uh, Amish he really is. But uh, we had no computer, and there wasn't much information at the library either. So what I did was I spent a lot of time contacting our reps and our senators at the Boston State House and just went right to the top. And I learned so much about the laws And I met so many amazing people along the way that I still do keep in contact with these senators and these reps and many, many survivors of sexual abuse and realize just how many organizations are out there to get the resources that you need. One thing I did realize is you have to be big, loud and upfront to change the laws because there's over 6,000 bills. So you have to bring your voice to the top to be heard. 
One of the things that I loved about your book is the detail that you went in explaining that basically you taught yourself about victims' rights, about the laws in Massachusetts, and what was being worked on or what should be worked on. So if you could just explain what were the laws in Massachusetts with regard to child sexual abuse survivors and their rights for litigation when you began your research and where did it end up after your fight? First and foremost, I wanna say that when it comes to sexual abuse, there should be no time frame whatsoever. When a child is being sexually abused, it is a form of murder. So there should be no time frame at all. But I did help to fight two laws, one being criminal and one being civil statute of limitations. The criminal statute of limitations on September 21st, 2006, it was changed. It was changed to a survivor now being the age of 43. It used to be only 31. So again, a survivor can be the age of 43 and go forward with a criminal statute of limitations. For civil, which is the one that I fought, that I went to court for, a civil statute of limitations was changed on June 26, 2014. And this was a huge change. This was the age of 21 is what it used to be. And it got extended to the age of 53 years old that a survivor has. So that was a huge increase. And when these laws did change, all of the 40 senators and all 160 reps were in favor of this bill changing. There was not one that held back and said that they were not in favor of these laws being extended for a survivor to get justice. That's wonderful to hear that they all were unanimous in their vote. And you bring up a very big point that Melissa and I talk about often in the podcast is jurisdictions are different and their laws are different. Melissa and I are, we consider ourselves fortunate that we prosecute in a jurisdiction where there is no statute of limitations whatsoever for any felony. So child sexual abuse is a felony and we can charge at any point in time as long as we can meet our ethical burden to be able to prove the case. But we, we are fortunate to not have that statute of limitations. I, I know that we are working on the civil end, or our state is, because there is a statute of limitations and we have some excellent delegates and senators that are working to increase the age in which a, a child or an adult, when they finally are ready to tell their story, can file for civil lawsuit, because that is really important. And we know that your advocacy did not begin and end in changing the law in Massachusetts. And it was really important for you to work on child safety and child education, which Catherine and I talk about all the time. We have kids ourselves on this podcast. Can you talk a little bit about why it was so important to you to work on abuse education for children? I, I think it's important to work with the kids because when you work with them at a younger age, then you can stop it. You can, you can stop all of those years that they're going to have to go through being abused. So the earlier that you catch it, of course, the better. And I did a lot of uh, safety events for the kids and I offered as much resources as I could, anywhere from the iris scan to bullying. I had a motorcycle group there. You name it, it was there. Bounce houses. I mean, so there was some fun in it, but it, there was the fingerprinting and, you know, important things that should the child go missing, that that information is there for the parents. 
but Child Help, Speak Up, Be Safe is one particular program that I am in awe over. And they educate the kids from pre-K to 12th grade. And I believe that this program should be in all of your schools. It's inexpensive. It's not time consuming. Every single school should have this particular program. And I did. I reached out to the YMCA and I taught some of the kids there this particular program. And I'm glad that I did. I think that, you know, education can really, we don't know the number of children that you would save by education because they may not ever be abused because you've taught them their voice. You taught them that they can reach out to a trusted adult. So, you know, we really think that education is where it's at. We, we love talking about that on our podcast and, and getting the word out there. So thank you for teaching us a little about a new little program. And all the resources that you outlined in the back of your book, you spent pages going into resources that are available for parents, for educators, for families. And I think that's a really important aspect that gets lost off of books. And so we appreciated you taking the time to put those resources in. But when we talk about your book, you opened up your entire life and you and your husband wrote it together. And I I think that's really important that the two of you wrote this together because we know that abuse it impacts everybody in the family. And so being able to do that together, I think is a benefit to both of you. But why was it so important that the two of you spent five years of your life, and I can't even imagine the tears that were spilled while writing this book, to share this story? First and foremost, it was very healing to write the book. And like you said, it took five years, we would be out in the pool. And my husband would say to me on a nice 80 degree day, Kathy, we got to get out of the pool and go write that GD book. And, and I said, I know, I know. But it, it was very healing. I can't stress that enough to write down your feelings and your thoughts, but to put it in a book was huge. And I still continue to feel that a survivor story is important to be to be told to help both in the professional arenas and survivors. In the professional field, I feel that my story can help with what one goes through, the emotions, the actions, and the need that it would help them to live a safer, healthier, and happier life. That's outlined in my story. And from the young girl up until my advocacy years are detailed in this particular book. From a survivor's, the reading, I think that it makes the reader feel that they're not alone, they don't need to be embarrassed, and they, they can share their story. Quite often, I am told by the readers that, that read my story that their stories are similar. You know, anyone that's been sexually abused, we all have that little part of my story that's in their story. And it doesn't matter if they're abused once or the 10 years that I've been abused. One time is too much. And I often tell my husband that if I'm offered the position as the poster child for sexual abuse prevention, just sign me up, I'm ready. I I think, you know, we talk a lot about Catherine and I about how to educate the public about child sex abuse and about sexual assault, because I think there's so much misinformation about there. And I think your story really just 
explains why people don't come forward, why it takes so long, and the truth behind it. And that's why I think it's such a powerful book and something that really everybody should read because we know it because we, you know, you've lived it and we have had so many survivors come through that we've helped achieve some sort of justice, but the the regular public doesn't really understand it unless they've met somebody that's gone through it or they've gone through it themselves. And I and I still, Melissa, I it's hard to believe, but I still have people say to me, Kathy, it's your fault because you didn't talk about it sooner. Why didn't you come forward? And they just don't understand why a person doesn't come forward. There's so many reasons. There are countless reasons. And I think it's important for every victim and survivor to know that whatever their reason for not coming forward at any point in time, it was valid to them. And that's all that matters. And I think when you get into the details of your book, and I, we know many survivors are the same, that your story and their story, there were times where the survivor tried to reach out to try to get some kind of help and was rebuffed or shut down either by somebody with good intentions or bad intentions and not understanding. And, and you see why when you read your story, why so many survivors don't come all the way forward because when they start, they get shut down. Yeah, that that's so true. And, you know, like you mentioned throughout my story, the book, I mean, I do mention the people that I did reveal my story to and, and I didn't get the help, you know, from the age of nine telling my Grammy and she said, Shh, Kathy, don't talk about that. So as a young girl, I did as I was told to do. The kids nowadays, they really don't, some of them, but, but I did as I was told to do. I was a very shy, quiet child. And so when my Grammy said, don't talk about that, she just reiterated what my stepfather told me. Kathy, don't tell, don't talk about it. Nobody's going to believe you. Your parents are going to get divorced. And if we get divorced, you know what, Kathy, it's going to be your fault. So I, I didn't. And you know, as an adult, I did blame myself. I self-blamed thinking that I should have told and it's my fault that I didn't get help because I didn't tell sooner. But it's not. It's not your fault. You're a young girl. How do you know? You don't know any better. Absolutely. There was only one person to blame in your story. And there's only one person to blame in all the other survivors that are out there. One thing that really struck me in your book was that you, you wrote about that you'll never forgive your stepfather, even though people have told you that you need to forgive him. And, you know, we hear things like forgive and forget, or, you know, forgiveness is for yourself and not for the other person. But it really just, it stood out to me because, you know, why should you forgive somebody? And so can you just tell our listeners a little bit about why you felt it was so important to talk about how you can't forgive him and why you shared that in your book? Absolutely. And no one, And I have to say that again, no one needs to forgive if they don't wish to, because you're right. A lot of people say, well, you need to forgive. You know, that happened a long time ago. You need to go on. No, because the survivor is going to remember. And that is right to the forefront of their lives. So you don't you you don't need to forgive unless you are in the survivor's shoes. You don't know. So the choice is up to you. And I didn't, and I won't forgive Louis Bonacani, who was my abuser, my stepfather, for his actions. And this is my choice. 
And to this day, he never apologized for his actions. And this is very hurtful. And maybe this is why I continue on with my advocacy. I don't know. But to get the apology, I think, is, is huge. But I never got it. I don't anticipate on getting it. And he still continues to deny that this happened. Even after the trial took place, he wrote to the judge and said, I want this to all go away. It never happened. Who does that? <laughs> you know, you're absolutely correct that it is always the survivor's choice. And so many choices have been taken away from a survivor that only they get to choose about forgiveness or not. So on that same vein, one of the things that struck me so much in the book was as you got older and as you started building your case, you learned that more adults than you ever knew, knew about the abuse that was going on for 10 years while you were a child. How do you look back and handle that kind of betrayal? They should have stood up for you. Well, Catherine and Melissa, I have to say that back then, the adults were not educated as much as they are today. But on that note, still adults know right from wrong. And yes, the adults in my life, they should have done something or said something to stop this for, for happening, for continue on for 10 years, especially my mother. My mother knew what was going on and she did nothing about it. And a lot of mothers and, and fathers, because there are women abusers, they do nothing because they're in situations, maybe it's financial or whatever the reason, but they just don't step up to the plate to help those young kids. And they know that it's going on. I mean, my mother would say when my stepfather was going to the package store, Kathy, go with him. He's going to get beer. Go with him. She knew what was going to take place, you know, or he had a cleaning job. Go with him, Kathy, to help him clean. He'll pay you $20. Well, you know what? That was the hardest work I've ever had to do for $20. But, but it does happen. Yeah, you have a lot more grace than I think Catherine and I would, would have. The book ends, and you, you talked about this a little bit, the book ends with the trial against Louis Bunacani, your rapist. We think it's important to say his name and the crime that he committed, like you mentioned in his book, because we don't want him to not be held accountable. And I don't want to go into too many details about the trial because everybody should pick up your book. But the book ends in 2016, and it is now 2021. And so can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you've been doing for the past four years? Well, as you can imagine, I have not stopped. Even with COVID, uh, COVID is step, stepping in my way, so it needs to go away. <laughs> but I've been doing a lot of Zooms. And, you know, I, I continue to speak my past four years. I've spoken at colleges. The last one I did a Zoom with Boston University, the police academy, because ironically, my stepfather was an auxiliary police officer. So I think to educate these police officers is very healing and very informative to them. Correctional facilities, I speak to the staff as well as male and female inmates. And people think I'm crazy because I talk to level two and level three sex offenders, but they need to know that the, the, what they did was wrong and that a survivor does not forget. So uh, doing that, hospitals to the staff on sexual abuse education. I run a supports group. I just want to mention that over the weekend, I did a Zoom with Survivors Voices. 35 survivors spoke their story. 
And it was unbelievable. One being a male and they, they had poems, they had songs, they told their stories. I'm hoping to work with the Roman Catholic Diocese Task Force, helping survivors of clergy abuse is in the works. I have a children's book that is going to be done in a couple months. We're hoping to get that out, which is really amazing. And I, I'm really excited about that. And um, doesn't stop there. My husband is working on a screenplay for the book. We're hoping that it becomes a movie someday of story about my life on the big screen so it can help even more survivors to, that go to the movies. But every day I reach out to all that I can, everyone I can. And that's how I met you two, Melissa and Catherine. And, and one more person that I want to share with where my book went to was the president. President Biden got a copy of my book and I sent it to his house and who knows, I didn't know he would respond back, but he did. Yeah. I mean, I know he has done so much work in the area of survivorship and has promised to bring back to the White House, you know, trauma-informed care. And so I, I hope that his book helps him in that vein and helps whoever it is he picks to lead that effort. I do too. And you know, I, I do get some feedback where people are like, oh, you know, Biden, but you know what? I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm independent. And when it comes to sexual abuse, it's not about politics. It's about helping these young ones to not go through what I did as a young girl. Absolutely. Politics should never get in the way of consent education. It should not get in the way of child abuse, sexual assault education, and making sure we have the proper programs and services available. And we know you've been working hard to make sure that those services and programs are available in your community and beyond. And so you have an audience. What is the most important thing that you think for parents, or in your case, you know, you had your aunt who was your guiding light for part of your story. But what's important for parents or aunts, guardians, families to know about child sexual abuse and more importantly, about an appropriate response if a child comes to them to report the abuse? Absolutely. I just want to say that my Aunt Judy was the mom to me that I didn't have growing up and she has since passed and I miss her to pieces. But what these adults and these people need to know is that sexual abuse is real. It's extremely common and the kids will not tell as they're being told by these perpetrators. These perpetrators are telling them, don't talk about it. And these kids are going silent. So you need to have conversations with these kids. You need to, you know, you need to know that abusers are not strangers. They're welcomed into the homes. They're going into your home, right through your front door as relatives, babysitters, coaches, teachers, they're not scary people. You need to listen to your kids, talk to them about telling it's okay to do so. They're not going to get in trouble and they're going to be believed and you're going to help them. But you need to tell them in a sense, keeping your voice calm, showing them eye contact and love to the child when you're talking to them, especially if they disclose your voice and your actions are extremely important because this kid is afraid that they're going to get in trouble. They're going to be punished. So you need to let them know you can always come to me when you have a question. Absolutely. And how about the kids? We know so many kids are right now during COVID 
trapped at home with their abusers, something Catherine and I talk about all the time, coming up with creative ways that we think that children would be able to disclose when they're not able to leave their homes. So if there are any kids listening that either are in a situation where they're being abused or they have a friend who has confided in them about abuse, what do you want them to know? I want them to tell, tell, and tell, and keep on telling until somebody helps you. A lot of times, the the first person that you tell, they're not going to help you, but you need to talk to your friends. Don't keep this a secret. You're not alone. You know, when I was this young girl, I didn't tell, but I wish as an adult now that I did tell. So just tell, tell your teachers, tell, tell a parent that you trust, but keep on telling. I can't stress that enough. Absolutely. And it's important, I think, too, as you, you've indicated at the beginning of this episode, to know that it's never the child's fault. We know the villain in your story. And, you know, with telling and over and over and over again, however you need to, to get the story out and to know it's not, it's not the child's fault ever. That's all the time we have for this episode. If you want to learn more about Kathy, you can find her on Facebook at Kathy Picard or at Kathy Child Advocate. And be sure to check out her website, kathypicard.com. We'll have the links to all of Kathy's content in our podcast notes, including links on how to purchase the book, Life with My Idiot Family. Kathy, it's truly been our pleasure to have you with us today and to be able to recognize for Women's History Month for March, all that you have done in the field of being just a survivor and advocate and never stop fighting. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate. And thank you again, Kathy, for all that you're doing to make the world a better place for all of our children and for sexual assault survivors. We are honored to recognize you as part of our Women's History Month series. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe. And you can find us on social media, No Gray Zone RRC on Instagram or Twitter, and No Gray Zone on Facebook. There are no excuses when it comes to sexual assault or not having the right response when it comes to sexual harassment. I'm just good at caring too much I'm just good at caring too much Is it too much to ask that you leave?